Man, well, how many of you glad you're in church this morning? It's better than jail, right? Or a hospital bed or something like that. It's, it's great to be here. And uh, if you feel like you got drug here this morning, well, good. I'm glad that you're here. It's, it's so good to see you all. And uh, man, we tell you this, it's a, it's a good day to worship our King Jesus. And if you've not been acquainted with him yet, today is your day. Or if it's been a while since you got connected to him, today is your day. So wherever you are at in this journey with the Lord, he is here and he's interested in you right where you're at. You know, over this past weekend, uh, this Friday, we had a, a Good Friday service, and it was one of the most different Good Friday services I've ever been a part of in my life. It turned into a healing meeting, y'all. It just You guys were crazy and wild and yelling. You're supposed to be somber and quiet. and mm. No, this is a Good Friday because Jesus is good all the time. And one of the verses, I want to just throw it up here on the screen again, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 uh, it started off here because we took communion together, and I know we're not doing it this morning, but we took part of it on Friday, and whether you were in uh, Good Friday service or not, I'm sure it brought remembrance to you about the sacrifice that Jesus paid when he went to the cross and he went to the scourging post and the absolute torture that he went through. Well, the Apostle Paul, again, a gentleman that wrote almost a third of the New Testament, was uh, he had met the Lord personally, and the Lord gave him these words, and he's talking to the Corinthian church, and he's talking about taking communion or the, eating the bread and drinking the, the wine. And in verse 26, he says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the story and proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And for you and I, I guess what just resonated in me as we were getting ready and partaking of the Lord's bread together on Friday is that you are retelling a story. And I think what the Lord just had in store for us as a church family is that we are here just to proclaim and retell the story again for ourselves to hear it. As children of God, it's good that we retell the story regularly to ourselves. I mean, it's good that we preach the gospel to all creation, but once in a while, you got to tell the, preach the gospel to yourself. Anybody ever woke up in a bad mood before? Don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at your wife. Don't look at your husband. Just, just look straight ahead. I'm talking to you. Anybody ever woke up within a bad day this morning? Bad morning. It happens. Correct? So what do you got to do? Just kind of, oh, God, I better find a joke or something to get me up. No, one of the ways that the Lord's been even encouraging me, you got to preach the gospel to yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, preach the gospel to yourself. Yeah, you can put a little bit of attitude on it. It is Resurrection Sunday, you know. You're supposed to have some sort of an attitude. But what we're doing this morning is we're retelling the story because the elements of communion and what Jesus did, it tells a beautiful story. And again, what is the story that grabbed our hearts? What is the story that radically changed the course of your life? The story that you embrace, the story that you now live your life on. It's this story. And the climax of this story is found in three simple words that our Lord uttered on the cross just before he died. Are you ready? Throw it up on the screen. It is finished. Come on, can we say that together? It is finished. And for all you Greek scholars, what do we word? Shout out with one word. Taleo. Come on, one more time. Taleo. What was the Lord proclaiming? It is is finished. He didn't say I am finished. He said it is finished. Jesus was just getting started. 
it is finished. And so what are we talking about? What was finished when Jesus uttered those words? And for those that have embraced the cross, that embraced what Jesus did, sins and death's awful, relentless control of our lives, it is finished. What is finished? Sin and death's awful control of our lives. You can declare boldly today that addiction is finished. Hopelessness is finished. Meaninglessness is finished. Poverty is finished. All took place here. Guilt and shame is finished. Whatever may be bringing death to you, it is finished. I believe one of the greatest gifts that you and I as children of God can do for our God is to come into agreement with what he did and with what he says. If he said it is finished, what do I say? It is finished. Why would I argue with that? So what may take place? Well, yeah, Jesus said it's finished and it's great. I hear all these things, addiction and, you know, freedom, all that is finished, but I'm not experiencing it. You may need to change the way that you think. You got to learn what the Christian life is all about is learning to now rely and think like God thinks. The message to the lost, to the world, is you must be born again. That's the message. And what that means, it's a spiritual rebirth that needs to take place. Because every one of us was born into this world, you were spiritually dead. And so what Jesus came to do, he didn't just heal that old man. That thing needed to be killed because it was full of sin. It was tainted by Adam and Eve, the first people. They sinned and they fell away from God. And so every copy, every child born of Adam and Eve had the sin nature rooted inside of them. So Jesus came to take care of that old dead nature. Well, how do I get born again? It's a spiritual rebirth. And what it is, is you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus died on your behalf, took your sin, your shame, your nastiness, your darkness, and you confess, Jesus, you are Lord. I want you as Lord of my life. At that moment, a spiritual birth just took place. <gasps> His, it is finished is my birth certificate. I'm alive today because of what Jesus did. So anybody done that in the room this morning? You've, you've confessed. Yeah, that's a good place. So you got reborn. That's a good place. And what we want is you got to get spiritually birthed. So if you've never done that before, today is your day to give spiritual birth, to get a new start, a new radical start with our Lord Jesus. He's not interested in a religion. Religion sucks. Say it. Religion sucks. Can you say that in church? Oh, yeah. We said it a few times. It does. God's not interested. And he didn't send Jesus to start a new religion. He came to establish a relationship with him. Now, one of the things we see in Romans chapter 8, I want you to see here, what Jesus did for us <laughs> is uh, Romans chapter 8. I love these verses. It says, so now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one, or those that have been spiritually reborn, there is no more accusing voice against you. That's good news. That little chatter that is constantly there, maybe in the back of your brain, well, you don't know what you did last night. You don't know what's all this about. Jesus shut his mouth. Verse two, for the law of the spirit of life that flowed through the anointing of Jesus has freed us from the law of sin and death. So say it, I'm free. I'm free. But I don't really feel free. 
It's nothing to do with that. We're going to realign our thinking to line up with what he said. He said that the spirit of life flowing through Jesus freed you from sin and death. So what do I do? Well, I wait till I feel it. No, you have to agree with God before the feelings come. Feelings don't dictate what we believe or how I'm going to do things. We see how confused the world is by going by feelings, don't we? Maybe you've been confused and even doing your own things. Well, I haven't felt anything, so I'm just not quite sure if there is a God. There is, whether you realize it or not. Right? Verse 3. He says, for God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish. Who achieved it? God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish because the law was limited by who? (laughs) By this human vessel, this human nature. Yet God sent us his son in human form to identify with human weakness clothed with humanity God's son gave his body to be the sin offering so that God could once and for all condemn the guilt and power of sin verse 4 so now every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the anointed one living his life in us and we are free to live Not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. It took God a great work to close the case of the charges that were against you. It cost God everything he had to shut the mouth of condemnation. And God achieved all of this without my help. (laughs) Christian, child of God, he doesn't need your help. This is where things get messy is when you try making yourself close the case or making yourself free from the condemning voice. It's impossible. The only one that could do it was God. So my job is to learn to rest and rely on what the finished works of Jesus is. That's what the Christian life is all about. It's not trying to earn to get something from God. It's learning to magnify what Jesus did, highlight it in my life so that every time something, some sin of what I've done in the past or old thought patterns try to come my way, I go, hold on a minute. I have to look to what Jesus has done, what he has said. He is my right standing. He is my safety. He is my rescuer. I am not. So what it is, it's learning to rely and rest on the finished works of Jesus. The good news of this story is that all that God required of us has been satisfied through the the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, as I said, as a child of God, I simply rely and rest in the finished work. The life of Jesus in me is enough to satisfy God. He looks at you and he's satisfied. Anybody have a good, that's a, that's a good picture to have this morning. He's not looking at you like he's ticked off at you. He's pleased because you have accepted his son, Jesus. Now, we're going to do, as I want to, how did he make Romans chapter 8, 1 through 4? How did he make that come alive? How did he actually go about doing some of those things? And I want to retell this story again to us today. You know, in the New Testament, you get a lot of cool pictures of Jesus. I mean, from the different miracles that he did, you see him healing the blind and you go, man, okay, it gives you kind of a perspective of Jesus. You see him walking on water. It gives you another perspective of Jesus. You see him all of a sudden cleansing the leper and all of a sudden you get another perspective of Jesus. He's just this multifaceted individual. Like, wow, he's fully man yet fully God. Wow. Wow, there's a lot to this. In the Old Testament, you get a lot of interesting pictures of who Jesus was. And I don't know if you know this, but throughout every book in the Old Testament, you actually get a glimpse of who Jesus is. For example, he was the rock 
that the water came out for the Israelites. Kind of go, that's kind of weird. Yeah, but a lot of it is, you see, that's how God talked. He was the ark that carried Noah safely. Yeah, yeah. He was the veil that separated the, the priest going into the most holy of holies. He was that veil just before going into the presence of God. There's so many different cool, unique pictures that you get a glimpse of what God was preparing for to send Jesus to this earth. And so when the great I am stood, I mean, you see God prophesying and saying over and over through his prophets that I got one coming. He's coming. He said it in Genesis chapter three at the very beginning. Satan, you're going to bruise his heel. He's going to bruise your head. It started off there and God started talking and he started prophesying and he started saying, I got one coming. And then John chapter one shows up and he says, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we saw him and we were like, wow. Yet there was nothing dazzling about him that made us just draw us to him. He just looked like a normal man because he laid aside all of his divine power and dignity. He laid it down and he took upon himself a servant, a human body. So what I want to talk about this, this morning is just this one that caught my attention. And we've talked about this in our past before, but it really hit me again as we're going in today. But this scapegoat. In the Old Testament, you see a lot of scapegoats. And today I want to show you and I, Jesus is the picture of the Old Testament scapegoat and he is for us today. And I got a picture on the screen. I want you just to take a look at it. Can you guys get that there? It's a, there it is, this scapegoat. Now you got that picture in here. We're going to come back to that in a sec. I want you to go to Leviticus chapter 16 here for a minute. And I want to read a few of these verses to you. And this is just after uh, the sons of Aaron, they had gone into the most holy place irreverently. They did it wrong and they were consumed by bringing in the wrong fire before the altar of God. They were dead on the spot. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons who died after they entered the Lord's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. Should have just read that to you first, I guess. Uh, The Lord said to Moses... Now, can you see the heart of God here? Warn warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. Don't do it. Don't do it. If he does, he's going to die. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement is there, and I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. So he says, you got to do this right. And so right you see from verse 3 all the way to the end of the chapter, you find how God told them to bring bulls in, to kill these bulls, to bring the blood, present the blood properly for all, not only for yourself, Aaron, for your family, but then all for the nation of Israel so that I will accept you. So you see the Old Testament, it's serious. This is, big, this is big business taking place right here in order to just get into the presence of God. And well, why is it so difficult? Because they were sinful people. They had the nature of sin lodged inside of them so they can just walk up to God's presence and go, oh God, how we love you like we did this morning and just worship him. They couldn't do that. Why? Because the nature was sin and sin and a holy God don't mix. What happens? Something has to give. And what gives every time you approach a holy God? The sin nature always falls flat. It can't compete. Satan and God aren't on equal terms arm wrestling for each other. Darkness, as soon as it walks in, light expels it in a moment. 
God is too big, too powerful. So that's why Satan can't do anything. All you have to do is call out to Jesus, say, Jesus, I want you as my Lord and Savior. And at that moment, that sin nature, dead, gone. And he gives you a brand new nature with the spirit of God now living inside of you. There's no competition with God. But now going back to the Old Testament, there were laws. There was ways to approach God. Now, again, I want you to keep in your memory, how did Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, how did that come to pass? How can the case be closed? How can I now enjoy living this free life all because of what Jesus has done? It's great we've heard it so much, but do we actually know how he did that? That's what we want to talk a little bit about this morning because it's helpful for us. Uh, you skip down to verse 7. I mean, in verses 3 through 6, you see him talking about this bull and what uh, Aaron was supposed to do with this bull and kill it. Read it for yourself. That's not my message today. But it says, then he must take these two male goats, so there's also goats now in the equation, and present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. Now, again, before we go further to this, uh, the day of atonement, God is talking about atonement. And what is atonement? It simply is a restoration between God and mankind. It's good to note that there is nothing that the Israelites could do to make it right with God on their own. So that's why God created and gave them a scapegoat so that there could be this access. Okay? Because again, if you read in the Old Testament, there was times that the people of Israel experienced the presence of God. They couldn't even walk anymore. They all fell down when his presence came in. So you can see God was so hungry and desirous to be with his kids. And how much more today? That's the God that we serve. He's not a distant God. He wants to be close. And you can see it all through here, what God is laying out. Continuing on in verse 8, talking about these goats. Aaron is now is to cast sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people to the wilderness of Azazel. Verse 9, Aaron will then present as a sin offering the goat chosen by Lot for the Lord and the other goat, the scapegoat, say with me, scapegoat, chosen by Lot to be sent away will be kept alive, standing before the Lord when it is sent away to Azazel in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. How? Through a scapegoat. So again, I want you to see the picture that God is giving you and I of what Jesus' role was going to be. Now you skip down to verse 20 from 11 through 19 again. You'll read a lot more of the, what Aaron's requirements and things that must be done. I mean, think about it. They had to pour blood over all the instruments. Imagine playing keys with blood all over them. It just got messy. And then in verse 20... When Aaron has finished purifying the most holy place, like he'd have to go into the room like this and he'd have to smear it with blood everywhere, make sure that it's purified from all sin and the tabernacle and the altar, he must now present this live goat. Now notice what Aaron is supposed to do with this goat. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and what's he going to do? Confess over it all, say with me, all the wickedness all rebellion and all the sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he is transferring uh, people's sins to the head of that goat. And then a man especially chosen for the task will drive the goat out into the wilderness. 
verse 22. And as the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. And at that moment, there was now an atonement between God and the nation of Israel. God was now able to come in without killing anybody. It's not that God is killing everybody. It's that they now could have access to him because there was a covering of their sin. Does that make sense? So now, again, I want you to notice that through a transfer or by the laying on of hands, the goat took all wickedness, all rebellion, all the sins of the people, and then he was driven out. And again, by this act, what happened? God could have access with his people. Again, this was a picture of what Jesus was to do. So I want you to go with me now, Hebrews chapter 10. God couldn't remove wickedness from heaven. He couldn't just do that. So what did he need is he had to send someone with a body from heaven to take away all impurity, all rebellion, all sin. God's up in heaven. How is he going to do that? He had a perfect plan. So in Hebrews chapter 10, let's read this together. It says the old system, which is the law, what we just read in Leviticus, that old system of living under that law presented us with only a faint shadow, a crude outline of the reality of the wonderful blessings to come. So when you read Leviticus, you have to read it through a different lens. You have to read it about what Jesus has done for us. Even with its steady stream of sacrifices. Think about that. A steady stream of sacrifices. There's a lot of little sheepies that died. A steady stream offered year after year after year. There still was nothing that could make our hearts perfect towards God. Four, verse two, for if an animal sacrifice could once and for all eliminate sin, they would have ceased to be offered and the worshipers would have a clean conscience. Instead, once was not enough. So by the repetitive sacrifices year after year, the worshipers were continually reminded of their sins, right? With their hearts still impure. So again, year after year, you see Aaron going up to this goat and he's confessing over. What do you think, man, the stuff that came out of this? What did you do? Oh, yeah. Adultery. Liar. What did you? Cheater. And you just list off all the sins of the people and he's confessing this guilt, this condemnation, all this horrible stuff on this goat. <laughs> And then out. But now you see, go look at verse four here. For what power does the blood of bulls and goats have to remove sin's guilt? What's the answer to that question? There is none. There's nothing in that, in that blood that could take away the impure hearts or take away the sin once and for all. So when Jesus, the Messiah came into the world, this is what he said. These are the words of Jesus. Since your ultimate desire was not another animal sacrifice, you have clothed me with a body that I might offer myself instead. Multiple burnt offerings and sin offerings cannot satisfy your justice. 
So I said to you, God, I will be the one to go and do your will and to fulfill all that was written of me in your word. The beautiful body of Jesus. This is why we take so much time to even honor and just so take the time to respect the body of Jesus. Because without that body, there is no removing of sin and guilt. There is no removing of this condemnation. God needed a body to work through in order to take away all the rebellion, to take away all the sin, to take away all the condemnation, the darkness that was on top of this entire planet. He needed a body. And so Jesus said, I'll do it. Give me that body, I will fulfill it to the perfect degree and the perfect will that you have. And that's why you see, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, not even saying a word. Why? Because he had another thought on his mind. It says that he looked at the cross, but he despised it for the joy that was laid out before him. What was the joy? Not the cross, not the agony. You were on the other end of this obedience. He got excited. He saw him and he's like, bring that cross on. Bring that whipping post on. That's my God. That's my king. That's the one that we serve who looked at the whipping post and said, let's go. I don't think he was. No, for the joy he looked at and said, I know you're on the other end of this. My stripes, your healing. My blood, your freedom. My blood, your deliverance. My blood, that condemnation, shut that right up. It goes right back to hell. That's what he's thinking on his mind. In fact, you see in Psalm chapter 22, if you were standing by the cross, you'd actually hear Jesus. He's not sitting there, oh, I guess it's time to quote Psalm 22. This is a prophetic word that David had about the Messiah that was yet to come. They didn't even have uh, piercing or the, the cross at that time for punishment. But David saw about a couple of thousand years ahead of time what the Messiah would go through. So I want to read this Psalm to you. And I want you to see and hear it from King Jesus' own mouth as he's hung on that cross. You ready? He says, God, my God, why would you abandon me now? Do we not hear Jesus out of those words? My God, my God, where are you? Verse 2, so follow with me down there, guys. Why do you remain distant, refusing to answer my tearful cries in the day and my desperate cries for your help in the night? I can't stop sobbing. Where are you, my God? Yet I know that you are most holy. It's indisputable. You are God enthroned, surrounded with songs, living among the shouts of praise of your princely people. Our father's faith was in you. Through the generations, they trusted and believed in you, and you came through. Every time they cried out to you in their despair, you were faithful to deliver them, and you won't disappoint them. But look at me now. I am like a woeful worm, crushed, and I'm bleeding crimson. I don't even look like a man anymore. I've been abused, despised, and scorned by everyone, mocked by their jeers, despised with their sneers, as all the people poke fun at me, spitting their insults, saying, is this the one who trusted in God? Is this the one who claims God is pleased with him? Now, let's see if your God will come to your rescue. We'll just see how much he delights in you. Lord, you delivered me safely from my mother's womb. You are the one who cared for me ever since I was a baby. Since the day I was born, I've been placed in your custody. You've cradled me throughout my days. I've trusted in you, and you've always been my God. So don't leave me now. Stay close to me, for trouble is all around me, and there's no one else to help me. 
I'm surrounded by many violent foes. Mighty forces of evil are swirling around me who want to break me to bits and destroy me. Curses pour from their mouths. They're like ravenous, roaring lions tearing their prey. Now I'm completely exhausted. I'm spent. Every joint of my body has been pulled apart. My courage has vanished and my inward parts have melted away. I'm so thirsty and parched, dry as a bone, and my tongue, it sticks to the roof of my mouth. And now that you've left me in this dust for death, they have pierced my hands and my feet. Like a pack of wild dogs, they tear at me, swirling around me with their hatred. They gather around me like lions to pin my hands and my feet. All my bones stick out. Look at how they gloat over me and stare. With a toss of dice, they divide my clothes among themselves, gambling for my garments. Lord, my God, please don't stay far away, for you are my only might and strength. Won't you come quickly to my rescue? <sighs> I mean, before I read on, just those, the swarming of evil. Those demons were clawing at him in the spirit realm. I mean, think about it. Most people would die after a whipping post. They wouldn't even survive that. Yet our king not only did that, but he carried a 100-pound 100, 100 cross all the way up that two-kilometer hike. And you can just see the spirit around those demons clawing at him. They want him because they think they finally beat God. Clawing. Other translations talk, talk to him about bulls of Bashan, that these bulls are just uh, these crazy packs of demonic forces trying to suck the life out of him. It took a lot to kill this man because of the life of God that was just infused with him. He carried the life. He says, give me back my life. Save me from this violent death. Save my precious one and only from the power of these demons. Save me from all the power of the enemy, from this roaring lying raged against me and the power of this dark horde. I will praise your name before all my brothers. As my people gather, I will praise you in their midst. Lovers of Yahweh, praise him. Let all the true seed of Jacob glorify him with your praises. Stand in awe of him, all you princely people, the offspring of Israel. For he has not despised my cries of despair. He's my first responder to my sufferings. And he didn't look the other way when I was in pain. He was there all the time listening to the song of the, inflict, of the afflicted. You're the reason for my praise. It comes from you and goes to you. I will keep my promise to, of praise to you before all who fear you among the congregation of your people. I will invite the poor and broken, and they will come and eat until they're satisfied. Bring Yahweh praise, and you will find him. Your hearts will overflow and live forever. From their four corners of the earth, the peoples of the world will remember and return to the Lord. Every nation will come and worship him. For the Lord is king of all who char takes charge of all the nations. There they are. They're worshiping. The wealthy of this world will feast in fellowship with him right alongside the humble of heart. Bowing down in the dust, forsaking their own souls. They will all come and worship this worthy king. His spiritual seed... Now he's talking about you and I. This spiritual seed shall serve him. Future generations will hear from us about the wonders of the sovereign Lord. Now here it is, 31. His generation yet to be born will glorify him and they will all declare, it is finished. In other words, Taleo, let the party begin. 
How did Jesus accomplish and make Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, which just simply talks about the case being closed, that voice of condemnation, that voice of shame, that voice of guilt, that voice is constantly there in the back of your head going, I know what you did. Uh, You're too nasty to go to church. You're too nasty to be called a Christian. I know way too much about you. That's where you got to go and say, shut up. Why? Because my Jesus paid a tremendous price to shut your mouth. So what do I do? I take bold steps and I speak from this place of it's a done deal with him. It's a done deal in me. I'm no longer under this law of trying to impress God. I already am impressing him. That sounds a little bit arrogant. Yeah, I'm not boasting in myself. In and of myself, Joel Housing is a loser. Don't amen that. But with him, I look mighty good. With him, I can do all things. With him, I'm by my side. With him, man, I, I can, I'm more than a conqueror, the Bible says. It says the very blessings of Abraham belong to me. Why? Because I'm connected to Jesus. Now I want you to show you this one last verse here. In Hebrews chapter 13, again, just to show you and I that Jesus, he came with a body to offer. He came with a body to offer for you and I. It says under, again, the old system. What's the old system? The law. This goat would come, and they would speak over this goat the failings and the shortcomings of all the people, and they would drive it out. They did that every year. Every year they did the same thing for the big offering at Passover. But now under this old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. Now look at this. So also Jesus suffered and died, where? Outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. When the Father looks at you, he says, you're holy. That's why you can't go by what other people say about you. They look at you go, "Mm mm-hmm, you something else. Yeah, I know you. I know what you've done. But God looks at you and says, holy. Why? Because he looks at it through the lens of the finished works of Jesus. So can I encourage you, church? This is your time. Don't allow another year to go by where you're dealing with the same condemnation, the same shame, the same guilt of the enemy constantly bringing up again, this is what happened, this is what I did, and you're such a loser, and you're not worthy of anything, you don't deserve anything. Guess what? You don't. We all know that. God knows that. And that's why he sent Jesus for you and I, so that now when he looks at you through what Jesus did, he says, I see no fault in you. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to finish off with this. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So now the case is closed. Can you see yourself with that case closed? It's time, church, that you start seeing yourself, all that guilt, all that shame, all that despair, all those things that you have messed up in. It's time that you close the case once and for all and say, today, I'm walking in the finished works of Jesus. I'm done playing around with this. I'm done. Okay, I feel good, so I'm good. I feel bad. I must be bad. Stop. Yo-yo Christianity is annoying. How do I know? Because I'm still working myself in this. The case is closed. What's closed? There is no accusing voice. 
So why is it constantly talking? It's because you put yourself in this place of, I have to do something in order to get God to like me again. Stop it. Look at your neighbor. Stop it. Slap him. Stop it. Only two of you slapped. This is permission to slap in church. Stop it. There remains no, read it with me, no accusing voice. One more time. There remains now no accusing voice. Where is it? Jesus, he shut it up. So the, again, the only time you give it power is when you come back under the law and say, okay, I, God, I messed up again. I'll, I'll prove it. I'm going to do better this time. I'm going to work so hard. I'm going to make five commitments that I'll never do this again. I'm going to get 15 accountability partners, and I'm going to have all these people just tell me, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. I'm going to put reminders in my phone that I'll never do this again. And, Lord, when I wake up, I'll make sure that I pray four hours every morning to make sure it never happens again. And guess what? Monday morning comes, and you already slept in. <laughs> You failed in the first day. Why? Because it is not by might. It is not by power. But it's by the spirit of God who lives on the inside of you. So what's our role? I got to rest. Allow myself to get implanted in this covenant that he wrote for me. He poured out his blood for this covenant to be established. God says it's finished. What do I say? It's finished. He says, that voice is shut up. What do I say? That voice is shut up. I'm going to live in that place. Come on, y'all. This is time for the church. We got to rise up here. The world is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. And it's hard to step out and be bold for God when you're still living under this. Man, I messed up again. Stop. Yes, you messed up. You'll probably mess up this afternoon. Probably didn't get the right piece of turkey that you wanted. (laughs) <laughs> what do I do? I have got to learn to rely and rest in what grace has already provided for me. So that's for you as the believer. For those of you that have been distant for God or have never had a relationship with Jesus, or you've walked, kind of did your own thing, it's time that you come back home. Why? The time is very short. Tomorrow, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Did you know that? So what do I do? You're going to wait till eternity to make your decision? It's too late. You have to make a decision on this planet, on this earth, while we're still living in this thing called time. God is so patient, so kind, so loving. You may be thinking, oh, God's not really watching anything I do. He knows the whole thing. And that's why we ain't out of here yet. So what he's waiting for is you to come back home. His son has already poured out his blood. His son has already been the ultimate sacrifice. So it's not you trying to be good enough. Are you trying to muster up enough, you know, good deeds in order to present him to God and say, okay, I think I'm ready to come now. No, all that stuff is trash to him. It means nothing. All that's acceptable to God is what Jesus has done. So religion loves to put you in the equation and say, well, how good are you? What have you done for God lately? How much do you pray? How much do you give? Well, that's not very much, so I guess I can't accept you. Religion sucks. I'm here just to tell you it's a relationship, and Jesus loved the hell out of you. So what do I do? I give you my life. Here's my life, Lord. I'm not quite sure all that's required, all that I need to do. Fine. Just start there and say, Lord, I start here with my life. I dedicate or I give my life to you. If you've known God and walked away, today's your day to say, Lord, I'm, I'm coming back home. 
And what, guess what? When you come on that road, guess what you're going to meet at this road? Not a father who's just, you piece of work. Where have you been? You are going to meet grace on that road. And he's going to embrace you. He says, kill the fatted calf. I'm putting on a barbecue for my son or my daughter. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Put the robe on his back. My son, my daughter, they're back. Let's have a party. So if you're thinking, well, where do I do this? You can do that right here. We have a wonderful opportunity. If you'd like to do that this morning, can we all stand up together? I'm not going to make embarrass you by any kind of sorts, but I do want to encourage you. If you got to, if you want to make things right with God, don't wait. Why wait? Why wait when you have a God who's like this, ready to welcome you and receive you? If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if, if you've never done that before, if this is your first time walking into a church building, welcome home, man. Listen, I, was, I wasn't real pretty in my earlier years either. I mean, I was pretty, just not pretty. <laughs> we all had to come to this place within ourselves and say, I need a savior. Because these laws that God had for us, nobody could do them. Not even those Bible heroes that you may have heard as a kid, Moses, David, Daniel, none of them could even do it. There was only one man who did it, and his name is Jesus. That's what we sing about him. He is wonderful counselor. His name is Jesus. So God says, when you accept and embrace all that Jesus did, you become a part of my family. Welcome in. So if you've never done that, or if you're saying, man, I've, I've left, I've done things my own way. I've ran away from God. I've ran away from my, my Christian roots and what my household talked about, what my family preached about, what my family, I just wanted nothing to do with that because it just seemed blah, bunk, blah, boring. All of that, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. Today is your day to come home because the father wants you, not because you're a, a housing, not because you will come from a Christian home. He wants you for you. And he wants a relationship, your very own relationship with a father God. So if that's any of, any of those invitations spoke to your heart or they, maybe your hands are getting a little clammy right now, not because it's warm in here, but all of a sudden you're going, oh man, he's talking to me. Good. That's the spirit of God inside of you going, that's you boy. I want to encourage you right where you're at. Just lift your hand real quick. We're going to just pray with you right where you're at. There's one hand there. I see one there. Anybody else? Excellent gentlemen. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Another one. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Hey, come on, man. Come on, come on, come on. Is there anybody else? Hey, 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 Anybody else? I want to just make sure we got everybody. I can't see, so if you're seeing, just point at me. Oh, there's another one. I see you. I see you. Awesome. Wonderful. So what we're going to do is just a simple prayer. If you would just keep your hand raised up to heaven and what to do, and that's where our help comes from. And we're all going to pray this prayer together because this is the day for new beginning. This is a day where, hey, all that religious stuff that you thought was God, it comes to a crashing halt now. And you start on this beautiful journey of a new friend. I got a friend in Jesus. So we're all going to pray this simple prayer together. And afterwards, what we'll do is I'm going to, uh, our team will find you. Is that the best way to do that? Okay. So we'll just say this together. Heavenly Father. I come to you in Jesus' name. Jesus, I want to thank you as I saw from your word that you were my scapegoat. You took my shame, my sin, my failures, my darkness upon your body, and you died on the cross, 
and you went to hell with them. But then three days later, you rose again from the dead and you left my sin, you left my shame, you left condemnation in hell. I accept you and all that you've done on my behalf. You are my Lord. You are my King. You are my Jesus. I welcome you in my heart. And from this day forward, I'm no longer a sinner, a heathen, a religious weirdo. I'm a child of God. Heaven is my home. You are my eternity. In Jesus' name. Now, first off, you prayed that. That is, oh man, heaven. The Bible says in Luke 15 that the angels threw a huge celebration. And I just have one more request. We were youth and children's pastors for 10 years. I can't kick that out of me. So that's still part of the thing. So if you wouldn't mind, if you prayed that prayer the first time, would you just look up for a sec? Click. God needed you as a picture for his wallet. Because there's nothing more exciting. I mean, I've been a dad now times four. And when you get a brand new baby that's born into this world, you go, look at my baby. This is my baby. Well, now you have a father who all throughout heaven, right at this moment, he goes, look at my new son. Look at my new daughter. Isn't he so cute? Isn't he so wonderful? I love him. 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 And that's all heaven's going to hear for the next 24 hours is how much in love the father is with you. So if you don't have a church family, if you're looking for a church family, you found one. Who are we? We're not a bunch of weirdos. Well, we are weird in a good way. We just love Jesus with all of our hearts. He's changed our lives. He has radically fell in love with us. So we just pour out that love back on him and we love him. And not only that, we actually like each other, don't we? Don't we? Okay, just making sure. We actually like each other. The people that you sit beside, even if they didn't shower, we actually still like them. All right, I'll shut up now.